0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is, when you may hear this, this is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition of Bible Bites. And so I wanted to bring to you today, my reading is found in uh, episode, uh, this is episode 244, and we are in Ezekiel, excuse me, chapters 9 through 12. So we'll be bringing out a few points from these chapters that I feel are noteworthy and that the Lord would have us to understand. First of all, in chapter 9, Ezekiel is witnessing um, God's call to six different men when he starts out this. Now, they're very likely angels. Um, I believe that they are angels, but, you know, it's translated in, in our Bibles perhaps as men. My Bible says that. And each of them are given authority... Um, to destroy with battle axes. They're carrying battle axes and they're brought to the altar of the burnt offering in the court of the temple. And one among them has a writer's inkhorn as well. So, God, we notice in verse 3, remember, He's already said in chapter 8 that they're making Him leave His sanctuary. He wanted to dwell with them, but He cannot abide with their continued. Rebellion and sin and abominations its even deeper than that. It's abominations throwing it in his face, so to speak. And so they're making him leave his sanctuary by their rejection and their uh, idolatry and abominations. So we see him move now from between the cherubim in the most holy place. And now he goes first to the threshold of the temple. As we look at these couple of chapters here we will notice that it, it's, it's kind of a progressive thing. It, it's as if God really is unwanting. He, he does not want to leave, but he's being forced to leave through all of these abominations and idolatries. So you see that hev- hesitancy to some degree, even in his journey, because he leaves from the most holy place, And then his presence picks up from there and goes and stands at the threshold of the temple. And I want to read to you um, verse 4 and 5. And it says this. This is the beginning of God's judgment in the land. Now, some have already been deported, like Ezekiel, to Babylon. But now Ezekiel is seeing in a vision exactly what's happening now and what will be happening in Babylon. Jerusalem as God finalizes his judgment there in these chapters. We'll see some more of that. So he says in verse four and five, and the Lord said to him, talking about the one that had the writer's ink horn, the angel that had that particular um, task, he had this ink horn to fulfill his mission. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem and put a mark on. On the forehead of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. Now, I want to point out a few things about this. First of all, God is sealing certain ones, and they will, we will see, they are spared from this judgment. They will not come under this judgment. It reminds us in Revelation chapter 7 where there are going to be a certain number, 144,000 total, that will be sealed. And during the time of those, that pouring out of God's wrath, during what we call the tribulation, we'll discuss it a whole lot more when we get there, but we tend to, tribu- to call it the tribulation. The Bible also calls it the um, time of Jacob's trouble or Daniel's 70th week. We can know it by either, either term. But during that time, there's going to be a tremendous amount of the wrath of God poured out as he winds everything down and he brings Jesus Christ to the restitution of all things and to his, his due in his millennial kingdom. And all of that is more than we will cover in this particular lesson. However, I just want to point out that there's some similarities to that here because just like those in chapter 7 of Revelation will be sealed, so are these sealed and they are spared because of that seal. Now, second thing in that is that in end times prophecy, you can hear a lot about what's called the mark of the beast. That's generally what it's referred to. And Satan is always a copy uh, copycat. He never creates or institutes anything original. It's always a copy. And so what that refers to is, in essence, a copy. It's a copycat of what God is doing in sealing his people with a particular mark. And so I wanted to point that out to you as well. And I also wanted to point out to you one final thing about this, that God's judgment, here we see it. God's judgment begins as always in the house of the Lord. The reason for that is because to whom much is given, much is required. In other words, God will judge those the most harshly and immediately those who have willingly disobeyed him, willingly disobeyed. been responsible, not just for their own sin, but also for bringing and leading the people astray. So all those who've been willingly rebellious and and participating will be judged. But he's going to start with the house of God because more is expected of those who knew more and those who had the responsibility of leading the others And when they've led them astray, God will deal with that. Jesus speaks some very harsh words about that, as a matter of fact. He says to begin at his sanctuary. So he begins in the house of the Lord, so to speak. All right. Then he goes on in verse 10 and he shows us again. He establishes again the reason for this judgment and for this fury. And then we see in verse 11 that the sealing angel reports back and says, I've done all that you've commanded me. I've sealed them all. And notice that the ones that got sealed also in this chapter were the ones that were sighing and in true grief over the sins and the abominations that were being committed there. And that's very convicting because nowadays, do we just hear all of the abominations that are going on? Do we see them? And then is our heart calloused so that we're truly not grieved the way the Spirit of God is grieved over all this sin? It just was a very convicting point. And so we each have to take a look at that. Are we those that truly grieve over the sins and the abominations of our people today as what these were in that day? Chapter 10, in chapter 10, again, Ezekiel is seeing the glorious throne of God in its grand splendor. Notice in chapter 10, all of these descriptions about the glorious throne of God, the glory of the Lord and the four living creatures is the exact same. It matches perfectly with chapter 1 of Ezekiel. And with even Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation 4 and 5 and the visions that are shown and the words that are given to us there about others who also saw the throne of God. And notice all the similarities. In verse 19, we see God moving away even farther. Now he goes to the eastern gate of the temple area. In chapter 11... The first 4 verses bring us back to those first those 25 men that were we've already seen they were spoken of in chapter 8 verses 9 through 12 and where we we were seeing the evil that they're doing there and now we see the judgment that they're going to be experiencing. I want to read verse 12 to you from chapter 10. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. That's in chapter 11. In chapter 11. Yes, in chapter 11, we're seeing the the same 25. I apologize. I just got myself a little confused over the chapter that we were in. In chapter 11, we're seeing those same 25 that were spoken to us about in chapter um, 8. And I want to read verse 12 to you. Because it says, And you shall know that I am the Lord, for you have not walked in my statutes, nor executed my judgments, but have done according to the customs of the Gentiles, which are all around you. And I just wanted to point out here, God expects his people, even today, to live separate and apart for him. It does not mean we don't interact with the world. It doesn't mean we can't live in the same neighborhoods and and have friends and work with people that are in the world. It does not mean that we have to dress weird. It doesn't mean any of those things. But it does mean, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he defined it this way. He said that he prayed that the Father would not take us out of the world. But basically that we would be in the world but not Of The world is how Jesus put it. So in other words, even though we have to work and live among the the people of this world, and we should want to, because they're the people that our lives can touch, and we can draw them to Jesus, but they need to be able to see Jesus in us. And see differences and see a hope that they don't see in their world. They need to be able to see the light of Jesus and the gospel message that they don't see in their world. They need to be able to see peace that they don't see in their world to be able to be drawn to that. So that's what it's talking about here. We need to live separately and God was upset with his people because they did not honor him enough to be separate for him but otherwise they adopted the customs of all those around them we've got to be careful not to pick up the sinful ways of the world in which we live as well even in our day in verse 16 I want to read this one to you as well and this is just beautiful In verse 16, he says this, Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, Although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Even in his judgment, God was still being true and living with and going with those who welcomed him, those who were obedient, those who came under his judgment and received his chastening and wanted him and were coming back and being drawn back to him. He became a little sanctuary among them in the country. So in other words, God moved with his people. He will be with us. He will go with us through whatever we go through in our life as well. Praise God. He will never leave us nor forsake us, is the promise of Scripture. And we even see that here. He even went with them, even into judgment, because he loved his people that much. And I want to read verses 19 through 20, because here, these are the people in bondage, in, I mean, in Babylonian captivity, in captivity in Babylon. And yet, here, God specifically gives them a promise of in coming days, a promise of restoration. He says this in verse 19. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. In other words, God is establishing here a promise of restoration, a promise of salvation, a promise of redemption, a promise of making them brand new, taking those stony hearts out of them that were rebellious and calloused and refused him and giving to them hearts of flesh. That's perhaps a good way for us to pray for the lost, the people around us, people in our own families or whatever. Pray for them that that God will remove that stony heart and give them a heart of flesh, a heart that's pliable and soft and sensitive to him. Then we see God's final move. Remember, he's moving away. He's being forced away from his sanctuary. And so now we see him go and stand on the Mount of Olives He stands on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city, and that is the Mount of Olives. And so this vision is now concluded. He has shown Ezekiel what he needed to show him. He has taught him what he needed to teach him. And so now he uh, takes, by the spirit, he he returns him back to Babylon in captivity. And then Ezekiel is to deliver the word and the vision and the, the understanding of it to the people there in captivity. Then we come to verse 12. And I want to read verses 1 and 2 because we see the opposite here of what Jesus meant and talked about when he said, he who has an ear, let him hear. But in doing this, we understand what he meant. And that's my reason for, for bringing this to your attention. In Ezekiel chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, he says this, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see but does not see, and ears to hear but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. So in other words, God is telling us ears to hear and eyes to see means you're not rebellious. You're willing, you're receptive, you have open ears, and those ears are designed and intend to obey what you hear. So that's the contrast. We see the contrast here, which gives us clearer understanding of what Jesus meant by that phrase. He's not talking about a literal physical earlobe on the side of your head. He is talking about a heart that is not rebellious to him, but rather is receiving his words with an intent and an attitude to let them change us, to obey them, and to honor him with them and with our obedience, willing ears to listen and obey. In verse 3 through 6, actually through verse 14, Ezekiel is called to live out things he is going to be a sign to the people there so we talked about how he's called to do some strange things and see some fascinating visions and so he's like an object lesson to them to give them clearer understanding so the object lesson here he's living out before them he's got to collect his belongings as if he's going into captivity and then he's got to dig under a wall and all of this you know and it's all designed to show them the words of what his prophecy is and so his prophecy here is actually speaking through this object lesson as well as through the prophetic word of what is going to happen to judah to judah's final king at the captivity so in other words the king is not going to escape judah's king at this captivity. Is going to do exactly what Jerem, uh, what Ezekiel here, excuse me, is living out before them. He's going to uh, try to escape through the digging the hole in the wall kind of thing, but he's not going to be able to. He will be caught. Jesus, uh, God says here in this prophetic word, he will fall into my snare. He's going to be caught. He's going to be dealt with. He will come to Babylon captive with the others, but but the word here says he will not see it with his eyes. The reason for that is because his eyes were plucked out by Nebuchadnezzar, which was a part of his judgment. So God is causing Ezekiel here to sort of live out this vision before them and in doing so give them the understanding that even though these are the captives that are already in Babylon, He's telling them exactly what's going to happen to Jerusalem and to Jerusalem's last king at that time. Now, I want to conclude today leading you and taking your attention to verse 25 of Ezekiel chapter 12. He says this, For I am the Lord, I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass It will no more be postponed, for in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord God. And they were talking about how it's delayed, it's for a future time, etc., etc. And God is telling them very clearly, Nope, no more delay. It's coming to pass now. Whatever I said, whatever I'm saying now, is going to come to pass quickly. It's now the time bring it to pass. And I just want to leave you with this thought. God speaks and acts and whatever he says and he promised will happen. It will happen just as he said, but it will also happen in his perfect time. And when the time comes, nothing and no one can stop it. It will happen just as he said, At its appointed time and season. And that is still true. That is true for anything God promises. Whether it's for judgment purposes. In these cases that's what it was. Or promises for those of us that that he has promised to restore us in, in favor and in blessing and other things that he has given to us. Whatever God says will come to pass in its perfect time. He will see to it. And it will not fall to the ground and be wasted. So I pray that this has been an encouragement and a blessing to you today. God bless you, and may, um, may you be able to join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites.